our vision here at BCC is to connect people in the Quad Cities to a transforming relationship with Jesus and to grow through finding belonging in healthy, authentic, Christ-centered community that is known for how we serve one another and how we serve others to impact every generation beyond our lifetime. To make it short, simple, and memorable, we want to connect, we want to grow, and we want to serve. Past couple of weeks, we talked about what it means to connect and how important it is to connect to that relationship with Christ and help others to connect. And then last week, Pastor Evan and I shared about how it's important for us to grow through finding belonging in authentic, healthy, Christ-centered community. And we broke down what all those different things mean. And today we're going to focus on that serve component and look at what that means. Because what does it actually mean to serve? A lot of us have different ideas when we hear that word in the context of church, in the context of Christian community. And we hear that word serve, and it can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Some of you, immediately, your hearts and minds go outside of the four walls of the church. And you see yourself going on mission trips, or you see yourself doing something local to help out an organization that's doing great things in the Quad Cities. Some of you see that word serve as something within the context of your neighborhood, or something within a Sunday morning service, or maybe some event that we've organized as a church. Whatever your definition may be that popped in your head when you hear that word serve, I want to make sure that when we say serve here at BCC that we understand the heart behind what we mean when we say that so that we can all unify and rally around that and move forward together as a church family, understanding who God has called us to be and embrace that part of our identity. I opened up this series with a couple of questions. I asked us these two things. What do we want to be known for and what are we known for? Those two questions are vital to the life of any believer and they're vital to the health of a church. What are we known for as a church? What are the things God has gifted us with? Where has he strategically located us? Where has he placed us to be effective and make an impact for this generation that we're currently serving and beyond our lifetimes? And then as we look at what do we want to be known for, what are the areas in our lives and in our church community that we believe God is calling us to, the things he's stretching us in, the things that he's challenging us in? If you have your Bible, go ahead and go over to the book of John. We're going to look at John chapter 13. I want to remind you, if you're using the YouVersion app, that you can just go to the events section of that app and search for a live event in your area. And each and every week, you're going to be able to find the sermon notes as well as a few extra helpful links. The sermon study guides that we prepare every week to take the sermon deeper so that you can grow in the content that we talk about on a Sunday morning. So make sure you utilize that as you're turning to John 13. I want to come right out of the gates with this, and I want this to be something that you write down, something that you understand, because as we define this idea of serving, I think that this is a pretty clear-cut definition of what it means to serve. Serving is the overflow of the love of God that causes the Christ follower to deny oneself. Serving is the overflow of the love of God. When we leave out of this parking lot each and every week, we see on the sign that's facing us, it says what? Love God and love others. This idea of loving God and loving others is something that when my heart is captured by who God is, 
when my heart is in awe of who he is and in awe of the gospel, then I am being filled up with this love of God because of who he is and what he's done for me, how he's bought me back, how he's redeemed me, how he's brought me into his family, and I am overwhelmed with a sense of belonging and a sense of love because of what God did through Jesus Christ. Out of that love, I am then compelled to want to love other people with that love. So that love flows out of me and flows into other people through the way I treat them, through the way I interact with them, through the way that I forgive and the way I reconcile, the way that I pursue reconciliation, the way within the body of Christ I pursue unity and seek unity, and the way that I'm not going to let the enemy like drive these wedges in between me because I want to be a fruitful believer. Amen? And that word fruit, when we see it in Scripture, most famously in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, as we talk about the fruits of the Spirit, it really ultimately is the evidence of the Spirit of God on the inside of you. It means the Spirit of God actually lives on the inside of you because there's evidence or there's fruit that says this is healthy. The Spirit of God is on the inside of this person or the Spirit of God is moving in the life of this church. The Spirit of God is actually present and is here. Not because we put a, a, a Christian name on our sign, not because we have crosses in the building, but because of the fruit our lives display and manifest. Amen? People know us by our fruits. And they see that we're real. They see we're authentic. They see that we're actually living out this stuff that we preach and teach and read and believe. That it's actually impacting our lives. Now, what that doesn't mean is that this is a church full of perfect people. Because it's not. We're all dysfunctional. Amen. And if you don't think you're, that you're dysfunctional, the person next to you certainly is dysfunctional. Right? So we all have issues. Every one of us. We all need to grow. None of us have arrived. None of us have figured this out to where all of a sudden God says, you know what? That's the one that I'm going to show everybody how they need to just live the rest of their lives because they got it all figured out. No. We all have growing to do. And it takes humility for us to grow. And it takes us pursuing unity. It takes us seeing ourselves properly in the light that God wants us to see ourselves and not thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. And so this idea of serving comes out of the overflow of my love for Christ and it causes me to deny my selfishness. It causes me to deny the things that I would maybe rather do. I like to say it this way. Serving is intentionally inconveniencing yourself for the benefit or the sake of another person. It's actually when you feel like you're entitled to something and you feel like you deserve something like a day off or you feel like you deserve to just have some me time or whatever and God may be challenging you or calling you to take that time that you may feel entitled to, maybe even you saved up and set back that you thought was all for you and God is requiring that of you for the benefit of another person. Well, that's not fair because I earned it, I deserved it. You see, a person who is denying themselves and who is truly in awe of the gospel, they understand what they truly deserve. Because in light of the gospel, in light of the goodness of God, we see what we truly deserve. Scripture says, for the wages of sin is death, and all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So that means we all are deserving of death because of our sin. That's what we deserve. But we don't get what we deserve. Instead, we get grace. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10, we see that for by grace we are saved through faith. And even that's not of yourself. It's a gift from God, lest anyone should boast. 
Paul writes to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 2, and he lets them know even the faith you had to believe wasn't something you possessed. God gave it to you. So you can't boast and say, look at how much faith I had. Well, God gave you that faith. Even your giftedness. You can't even boast about your giftedness because the Holy Spirit has distributed gifts to each one as he wills. And so the giftedness that you have, you can't boast in your giftedness because God gave you the giftedness to worship him and give back to him. You see, it's all for his glory and his purposes and his will. And when we recognize that it's from him, then our lives can truly be a life that is walking in the spirit and not gratifying or fulfilling the lusts of our flesh. So we on purpose, intentionally, I meant to do this, tell myself no, because I'm going to say yes to greater things. I'm going to say yes to the greater thing that God has called me to. And sometimes the greater things doesn't always look really appealing and attractive. Sometimes greater things look like what happened in John chapter 13. Let's read verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper and laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist, then poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what, am I, what, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward, you will understand. And Peter said to him, well, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you will have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him, and that's why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me, and I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Now let's skip down to verse 34. Jesus says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So here in the context, Jesus is washing his disciples' feet and he's showing them something. What he's ultimately showing them is a picture of why he came. He's ultimately showing them why he came, what he was going to do, so that when it happened, they would understand. That's why when Jesus started washing their feet, he told them, what you don't understand right now, you're going to understand later. And Peter gets really zealous and really excited. And Peter says, well, just wash all of me, Jesus. And Jesus is like, oh, 
that's not the point, Peter. Like, just, just let me wash your feet already and, you know, just shut up at the table, you know. <laughs> and he's like, well, you, you can't wash my feet. And Jesus says something interesting. He says, if you don't let me do this, then you're not going to have any part with me. Because he's trying to show his disciples something. He's trying to show them that God humbled himself by coming in the form of a man wrapped in flesh, but yet without sin, so that he who knew no sin could become sin for us, that we might have eternal life. In other words, Jesus humbled himself like the servant, took the servant's garment, and he washed us clean, and he did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And this is a picture of what Jesus is trying to help them understand of his humility, of his purpose. And then he says this, and this is interesting, because after he's finished and he goes back and he sits down at the table and takes his place, he says, what I've done to you, now go do for one another. And yes, Jesus is saying, serve one another. He's saying, humble yourself and care for one another and, and take care of one another's needs. But he's also saying, love one another so much you would be willing to die for each other. Because you're about to understand something after you see these things take place and all this is going to start coming back to you. And all these little synapses are going to start clicking and you're going to start remembering the stories and the illustrations and you're going to go, oh my goodness, wow. He said, you don't get it now, but you will. And what I've done for you, go do for one another. Because Jesus says this, he says, no greater love has a man than this, that he'd be willing to lay down his life for his friends. He's saying, love one another this much. Like you who are my disciples, you who, you who claim to be my disciples, to follow me, to love me, love one another so well that you would go to the ends of the earth for one another because you're serving each other and loving each other. You're not thinking more highly of yourself than you should. You're willing to get down and get dirty and get in the grime and get in the dirt and be able to care for one another and serve one another. Through all of the difficulties, through all of the challenges. And then he follows this up later by saying in verse 34 that the world's going to know that you belong to me because you do this stuff to each other. By the way you love each other, the way you sacrifice, the way you intentionally inconvenience yourself for the sake of one another. And it's going to come from this idea of you loving me and then that love is going to flow out because the servant is not greater than his master. And you need to understand that this is who you're called to be. This is what you're called to do. And he talks about how we are to treat one another. And, and I love the idea of the church serving outside of the four walls. I love that. I think that that is something we are called to do. To shine the light of Jesus Christ. To take, you know, and go compel people from the highways and the byways, the hedges, all that stuff. And, and share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. But not at the expense of us not loving one another well. Because we are called to love one another. That's our calling card. That's the beacon. That's the thing that's supposed to be attractive to the world. Is how the church treats one another and how they serve one another. And we lose that sometimes because we think it's okay for us to facilitate the types of behaviors and attitudes and, and disagreements and unforgiveness and bitterness that we do within the context of church. As long as we're doing good outside of the church. But Jesus says that by this all men will know you're my disciples. If you have love one for another. So it actually starts in here. It starts by the way we wash each other's feet. We want to go out and wash the world's feet and show them and serve them. But Jesus said, you guys wash one another's feet. I think we miss this element of serving a lot of times because we're not willing to go to those extents because we think more highly of ourselves than we should. We don't deny ourselves 
we think we're entitled. We think we deserve some things. And based on our tenure, based on how much we've given or how much we've invested, how long, you know, we've been around, how good of a Christian we've been by the behaviors that we have and the things we've not participated in and, and the things that we've so faithfully committed to help see happen. And, and we began to get this arrogance about us and this entitlement about us. And it causes disunity in the body of Christ. It causes factions to arise and to be strengthened. And that's not very attractive to the world. Because Jesus said that by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. It's this idea of this eagerness of unity that Paul talked about in Ephesians chapter 4. When he said that the church should be eager to pursue unity. To maintain unity in the bond of peace. The bond of the spirit. The thing that brings us together and unifies. It doesn't mean we're perfect because we're all dysfunctional. We've all got issues. We've all got challenges. But it means because the priority is loving God out of the overflow of my love for God, I'm going to seek forgiveness. I'm going to seek reconciliation. I'm going to seek unity in the body. I'm going to make sure that I'm growing and loving well, that, that I'm, I'm, I'm being a person who's growing and exercising the fruits of the Spirit, that these things are coming out of me and there's evidence that God is here and God is among us and God is in us. Because there's fruit that keeps springing up because of the way we interact with each other. And yes, certainly, we must serve those outside of the four walls of the church. Yes, that's a huge calling and a huge priority for the church. But can I tell you, the only type of impactful church that we're going to see is the type that's healthy, serving one another and loving one another, as well as serving those outside of our fellowship. Amen? You see, Jesus was showing them how to love sacrificially, Jesus was showing them how to deny themselves. He even told them at various times throughout his life on the earth to take up their cross, deny themselves, and follow him. And I believe he's still speaking that to us today. Serving one another requires humility. It requires sacrificial love. It requires me to say no to myself so that I can say yes to someone or something else. It puts me in a position where, man, a lot of times I'm not going to like it because I don't know about you, but feet stink. It's not my thing. I think they're gross. And some people, you know, when it comes summertime and they're like wearing sandals, I'm like, don't. Please put on some shoes. That's just nasty. I just, I just, I don't understand. But anyways, washing feet is not a glorious job. It's not something that you're going to get a lot of sign-ups for in the lobby. We need sign-ups for the foot washing ministry. Yeah, that's going to be a short list. <laughs> I don't care if you do have sanitizer. That's going to be a short list. Man, but when you think about it, Jesus commanded us to do this. This is the heart of serving. This is the heart. It's not always glorious. It's not even, listen... I know this is going to be hard for you. It's not even stuff you want to do sometimes. Because it's not about you. It's bigger than you. It's what's needed. It's what the opportunity is that God's putting in front of the body for us to serve him through serving one another and then serving others outside. Some of us only want to be a part of the things that are glamorous, that look easy, that look like things that are safe for us to do. But sometimes God calls us to do things outside of what's comfortable, easy, sanitary, or safe. That's what nursery ministry is. It's not always sanitary. 
But can I tell you that God is calling us because it's not about us. Pastor Evan read Romans chapter 12 last week, and I want to revisit that. I think that this is kind of the go-to passage when people talk about serving, and rightfully so, because Paul says this to the church in Rome, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So what Paul is saying is that in light of the mercy of God, in light of what Jesus Christ did for you, I'm appealing to you. Uh, King James says, I beseech you. That means like I'm pleading with you. Like I'm begging you. I'm compelling you to see this. I want you to get it. This is of utmost importance. I appeal to you by the mercies of God in light of what he's done for you. This seems like a reasonable response. He says it's a reasonable act of worship. It's a reasonable act of a spiritual form of worship to present your body as a living sacrifice. Verse 2 He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So he's saying that for you to do this is going to require you to think differently than how you used to think. You used to think a certain way. You used to put you first. You used to think only about yourself. But now, because you're a Christ follower, you're supposed to be transformed by changing the way that you think and line it up with how God sees things. So that means my values need to submit to the will of God, by me saying, God, not my will, but your will. Not my values, but your values. Not my truth, but God, you as the source of truth. Not my experiences, not all of the things that would dictate to me who I am and the script that I think I'm supposed to live life by and what I'm entitled to and what I think I deserve and what I think I, 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 I should be getting because of what I've done and what I've been through. No, I submit all that to the feet of Jesus and I humble myself under the mighty hand of God and allow him to show me who he is and what's important to him because I spend time in his word and I change the way that I think and I change my values and I'm transformed as a result because I want to think in line with scripture. So I'm, I'm being transformed by renewing my mind. He says that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. So you'll know what's actually God's will, what's good, acceptable, and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment what's the opposite of sober what i can't hear you i'm up here what okay drunk is the opposite of sober somebody got real nervous they're like i don't want to say that word because i don't want them to think that like i did that it's okay i said we're all dysfunctional it's a <laughs> you see the opposite of sober is drunk does a drunk person make good choices are they known for making good choices No, they're not making good choices. Why? Because something else has taken control of their mind and their emotions and the way they see things. Their perspective has been jaded. It has been influenced by the substance. We call it being under the influence. You're being influenced. So he says, don't use, he said, you need to use sober judgment. He's saying when you're drunk, you're drunk on yourself. Because you get drunk on what you want, you get drunk on thinking what you deserve, what you're entitled to, and you start saying and doing dumb things. Because that's what drunk people do. And it's exactly what the Apostle Paul is trying to help us to see, that sober people, sober judgment comes from someone not thinking higher of themselves than they should. 
not looking down upon everyone and comparing themselves to everyone, but saying, no, I want to think of myself as a servant because Jesus said, I'm not above him. He said, a servant is not above his master. Amen. Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned for in one body, we have many members and the members who do not have all the same function. So we, though we're many, are one body in Christ. And individually, we're members of one another. We have different gifts according to the grace that he's given us. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads, do it with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. He says this, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what's good. Love one another with brotherly affection. I love this next part. Outdo one another in showing honor. What a powerful statement. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. He's saying this is the life of someone who is renewing their mind and being transformed and who is presenting their body as a living sacrifice to God. This is the type of life they're living. This is the type of fruit they're producing. This is the type of person who understands I need to get out my servant's towel when I instead want to show you my trophy and show you my strength and show you how special I am. Instead, no, I grab my servant towel and I humble myself before the mighty hand of God and I serve my brothers and sisters in Christ. I serve them with a godly love and then I serve those outside of the family of God with that same love of God. And I serve them and show them the love of Jesus that has changed my life. The reality of Christ. The tangible love of God by them experiencing that love. Here's our big idea for today. A, a heart that is in awe of the gospel of Jesus Christ rejects entitlement and embraces opportunity. I want to say that again. And it's on the screen so you can read it too. A heart that is in awe of the gospel of Jesus Christ rejects entitlement and embraces opportunity. It starts with being captivated by the gospel. It starts with being captivated by his grace and his mercy that I don't deserve, but I still somehow get. Wow, by grace, you have been saved. And when I'm in awe of that, when awe is stirred in my heart, because I began to think I didn't get what I deserved. Instead, I got forgiveness. Instead of being rejected by God because of my sinfulness and my rejection of him, I get brought in and invited to be a part of his family. And then when I say yes to him, he adopts me as his son. He adopts you as his daughter. That doesn't even make sense. That's like opposite world, right? You reject me, I reject you. That's how we play. Like, that's our rules. But this is upside down from the way we think. That's why I have to think differently. And I have to experience the goodness and the mercy of God. And then allow what he's done in me to flow out of me. Because he didn't just do it for me because I'm the end. And all of a sudden I get all this mercy. I get all this forgiveness. I get all this restoration, reconciliation. And I go, ooh, that feels warm and fuzzy. I like it. Thank you, Jesus. And now the rest of my life I'm just chasing warm and fuzzies and trying to learn more scripture so I can be spiritual. I might lead a Bible study one day. If God ever gives me the courage to do it. And we think that's like what Christianity is from that point. And that's not it. It's that I am transformed and now I'm compelled. I am stirred. I am in awe. And now I'm serving. Not out of this 
sense of guilt or some sort of uh, negative reaction. No, it's actually something I can't help but do because I realize I get to do this because he saved me by his grace. You see, it's a privilege to serve in the name of Jesus, the privilege to serve one another, to humble oneself, and to look at the available opportunities for others to connect to the transformational power of the message of Jesus. You see, that's, that's why it's so powerful when even within the context of a Sunday morning service, we serve each other, we're serving each other. You know, the coffee people, they're washing feet by serving you coffee. They wash their hands before they do it, but they're still, they're still washing feet by providing coffee for you. The people who are investing in our children and the people who are uh, doing nursery ministry and, and who are investing by teaching our children, they're investing in them while simultaneously giving you as a parent or a grandparent or a, a guardian an opportunity to not have to have to worry about them and know they're learning the things of God and having their heart tuned towards God while you also are learning and being a part of this fellowship and this experience. What a way to wash someone's feet. You see, they saw an opportunity. They denied themselves and says, no, I'm willing to do this and be a part of this instead of just saying, no, I want to do this over here. No, I get to do this. It's the same thing, not only within the context of a Sunday morning church service, but what about in your neighborhood? You're out there shoveling snow and your neighbor's out there shoveling snow as well. You know your neighbor, you're friendly, but what if you begin to see them differently? You begin to see an opportunity for you to build relationship and to connect because maybe God wants to use that relationship in a powerful way by you washing their feet, by you serving them. Could serving even look like you thinking less of yourself and more of another person when you find yourself at a crossroads of offense? Because how many of you know that when there's opportunity to be offended, there's also an opportunity for you to be grace-filled? When there's an opportunity for you to get bitter, there's also an opportunity for you to exercise patience as a fruit of the Spirit. When there's an opportunity for you to get angry, there's also an opportunity for you to exercise humility. Every time there's a choice. Where's the evidence of the Spirit of God on the inside of us? I have to deny myself because my flesh wants to give in. My flesh wants to do what I want to do, but the Spirit of God is bigger than that on the inside of me, and I have to trust in that. And when I remind myself of the gospel, it puts me in a place of awe, and it changes the way I look at people. It changes how, how quickly maybe I used to give up on somebody just because they didn't do what I wanted them to do. And it helps me to preserve unity in the body of Christ because now I'm seeking reconciliation rather than seeking my own way. Because if you want to live in a world where everybody does things how you want, and they think the way you want, and they operate the way you want, uh, you need to find a new planet. <laughs> Because, baby, this ain't it. <laughs> so I have to learn there's not a perfect church. There's not a perfect group of people. And you're definitely not it, right? <laughs> I need to remind myself of that. I shouldn't think higher of myself than I should. That's why I can't compare everyone else to me because I'm not that high. I have to humble myself under the mighty hand of God. So I'm going to think less about what I'm wanting to do for myself and more of what has he called me to do and what I get to do. More about the heart of Jesus beating in our chest. See, that's why when we serve one another and we do outreaches and we serve in missions, outreach is not an event, it's a lifestyle. 
I love that at BCC we support so many missionaries and we send out missionaries. I think that's awesome. That's part of serving. And I want to see us raise up and send out more. That's one of the coolest things that I've ever seen in a church. I've never seen a church raise up and send out as many missionaries as BCC has in my 23 years of pastoral ministry. Never seen that. And it's fantastic. I love that. And I want to see us continue on that road and doing that. But can I tell you that every one of us is called to missions? Every one of us? Not just those that we raise up and pray for, lay hands on and send out. Every one of us have a mission. That mission may be your family. That mission may be your neighborhood. That mission may be Walmart. That mission may be the assembly line at John Deere. That mission may be the office. Whatever it is. Your neighborhood. God has given us all a mission. Amen. And it's great to connect with organizations and outreaches and organize all this stuff and put big events together. I love that stuff. I'm for that. We're going to keep doing that. But we need to remember that all of us are called, every one of us, and we get to do this. You see, we shouldn't limit our serving to just events. We shouldn't limit missions just to those we support and send out. We're all called to go. We're all called to serve, first of all, in the house of the Lord, in this church family, to each other. For us to serve each other, to wash each other's feet. So when you look at, you know, roles of church leaders, elders, pastors, you go, oh, wow, look, they're a pastor. Oh, look, they're an elder. No, they're just chief foot washer. <laughs> they're supposed to be doing it and showing everybody else the way. But all of us are called to do it, amen? It's not about some prominent positions or people that look more spiritual than others. No, we're all just washing each other's feet. And can I tell you this, that opportunities are everywhere? They're all around. And someone who's a servant is going to look for those opportunities, see them, and say yes. Because we are to connect, we are to grow, we are to serve, because it's our identity. And we need to embrace that part of who God has called us to be. And I believe that what that means for us locally here at BCC, I believe that there's coming a day, very soon, because of the way God is maturing us, challenging us, and growing us. I believe there's coming a day where there's not going to be any need for any minister or person to get up and say, we need help over in this area, or we need help over in that area, because the church is just going to be so full of a heart to serve, and everybody's going to have their servant towels ready, and they're just going to say, yeah, that's my heart, that's what I believe for this church. We're going to have so many people that we're not even going to have to get on the stage and make some big ask, because the church goes, yeah, I'm here to serve. I'm here to wash each other's feet. I want to serve the body within the body. All the needs that we have, yeah, I'll, I'll take care of that. How can I help? How can I be a part? Because we begin to think less of ourselves, intentionally inconveniencing ourselves for the benefit of one another. That's the type of church that I believe God's called us to be. I believe that he'll continue to do that. Amen.